want to fight. We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. The very first thing the Nazi garrison on Vagzoi Island, Norway, would have heard when the British No. 3 Commando Battalion landed on December 27, 1941, was the sudden blaring drone of bagpipes. One commando stood at the fore of the landing craft, facing the impending battle and playing the peppy marshal March of the Cameron Men. Upon coming to a halt on shore, the soldier jumped from the craft, hucked a grenade at the Germans, then drew a full sword and ran screaming into the fray. This has been Masterpiece Theater with Kirsten Way. <laughs> um, fabulous, ferocious a fight vice friends. vice article from Kirsten Way. <laughs> no, uh, thank you. Who's that vice article by? Uh, Mark like, Hay. Mark Hay, excellent. We want to make sure we get our citations in because, <laughs> damn it, we're professionals. Anyway, welcome to Fightcast. Um, as you might be able to tell, this is going to be a kind of new and different type of episode. The first installments in what we are tentatively calling profiles in psychotic bravery or something <laughs> I, I believe yeah i yeah. mean yeah that's not working far title off, it's a working title code name code name wait no it's not a code name i just told everybody it's a working title it's a working title there we go much cooler um anyway uh so, we are going to be starting a, a series in profiles in individuals and we're not just going to talk about a battle or a film or you know a weapon this time we're going to talk about people because people are interesting especially and crazy, it turns oh good out. lord yes people um, are insane Yes, especially the one we're about to talk uh, about with you today. Um, those of you who may have heard the intro uh, with some dulcet bagpipe tones laid in over it. That's as good as I can do. It doesn't sound as good if I use my phone. You know that I'm going to isolate that sound sample and I'm going to just spread... Oh, oh, oh. So who are we talking about today? We are talking about one Mr... Jack Churchill. Wait, 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 could you read his entire name, please? Oh, I'm sorry, his full name and title. Um, uh, this, uh, I have to remind everybody, this was a real person. This person existed <laughs> and whose deeds are documented. Anyway, this is uh, about Jack Churchill, otherwise known as Fighting Jack or Mad Jack. Full title and name, Lieutenant Colonel John Malcolm Thorm. Uh, yeah. Thorpe. Th- I'm doing this from the beginning because he deserves all the right, respect. Yeah, we'll do it again. No, okay, all right. John... <laughs> <laughs> These people had lots of names! And it stopped after World War II for some reason. Anyway, his full name and title, Lieutenant Colonel John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill. Uh, DSO and Bar, MC and Bar, um, and officer in the British Army in World War II. Uh, nobody with that many names is anything less than a complete badass or just really fucked up. Or has parents who divorce a lot. Oh yeah, there's that too. Anyways, so (laughs) what did this guy do? This guy... Why should we know who he is? We should know who he is because much in the manner of I mean, you have... This happens in every war. You know, hero stories emerge in every single war. You know, um... I'm sure that there were some in the American Civil War. Um, uh, you had, of course, I mean, the, well, I mean. You, I'm sure somebody was heroic in the Civil War. Well, uh, Damned if I know who, but someone. Well, uh, the, the common soldiers who were heroic, we never heard about, unfortunately. And that's that, uh, all the generals were the heroic people that you hear about in the Civil War. Um, but you, you start to hear about more pedestrian characters as time goes on, Cue all the angry letters from Civil War aficionados. Pedestrian. 
Uh, yes. Send them to... I want you to handwrite the letters or else it doesn't count on parchment violin paper. violin playing in the background, I won't read it. Handwrite all your letters on parchment paper to candlelight, and then I will consider them. Anyway. Um, but World War II, I think, was a war that really thrived on its heroes because mm-hmm. there was such a big media industry yeah. back home. Oh, movies um, Movies had become a thing in the 30s. Right, and know? of course we had newspapers before. Of course we had um, heroes and books and things written about wars before, mm-hmm. but uh, being able to get pictures of the war as it's happening, yeah. you know, being able to get newsreels. Yeah, um, before this time you had to just trust Winston Churchill's memoirs when he released them or somebody, you know. <laughs> but, but but it was all very much like, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a proper upper class gentleman. Of course he wouldn't exaggerate the truth at all, would he? Um, it's, but, and so this time though, you know, uh, documentary footage of filmmaking, uh, uh, Documentary filmmaking of wars was was a thing that was coming into the forefront. Right, and so people back home yeah. wanted to see heroes. Absolutely. And recruiters wanted people back home to see heroes. Hence, Audie Murphy. You have, uh, you know, he was a star, a movie star that came out of the war. He had to play, he played himself um, in a movie about Audie Murphy, uh, and they had to tone down a lot of the stuff that he actually did, much like they would have to do if they made a movie about Jack Churchill. But of course, you, you have the Iwo Jima flag raisers. You have, I mean, countless others that who I am just absolutely, it's a crime that, uh, well, that, that I, I don't uh, have the time to mention all of them right now. That Mel Gibson movie, Hacksaw Ridge. Yes, Hacksaw, yeah, about, um, Desmond um, Doss. Yes. Uh, which, great, I'm glad his story got told. I don't know if I would have told it in that way, but I'm really happy that... I know, um, they, they had to tone that down so yeah. much to the point where they missed the things that I like about him. Anyways, that's another yeah, podcast. Yeah, we can but do a whole episode about Desmond Doss. Jack I'd love Har- to. Jack, let's, let's go through so, Mr. Churchill here and... This, okay, from the very get-go, this guy had a very British colonial adventure born, like, this was the stuff of pulp magazines. Uh, he was born in Ceylon. Um, his father and grandfather were both in the uh, civil service there. Uh, in 1910, they moved to Hong Kong, <clears throat> uh, where he, uh, his, let's see, uh, I think his father was appointed director of public works. Uh, later on, he was educated at Kings William College on the Isle of Man. He graduated from the Royal Military College Sandhurst in 1926, uh, went immediately to Burma, served with the Manchester Regiment there, um, and uh, was an uh, avid motorcycle rider at the time. Yes. And then he actually became so bored with all of the peace that he left the army in 1936 because... This is a guy who was... I mean, he's not been in a war yet, perhaps, but he's in, been in parts of the world where he has probably seen combat at this point. Oh, like, sure. N- n- not as part of any official hostilities, probably, but, I mean, that's just... Anyway, a, a hell of a start. I mean, you start kind of a couple rungs up the badass ladder when you are just like, oh, I'm just gonna... You know, go to Burma, and uh, I'm just gonna ride motorcycles all over the place. As uh, uh, motorcycles in 1930s, by the way, yeah, which must have been death traps. Uh, <laughs> so um, he left the army in 1936, worked as a newspaper editor editor in Nairobi, Kenya, and as a male model. Okay, just stop for a second. But David, let's. Let's let's appreciate. I just want to appreciate the fact that models make an important contribution to the world of badassness. But why models? <laughs> why, why models, indeed? <laughs> just okay. Uh, w- w- 
we're going to attach a picture of this guy to the show notes. I mean, again, he's right out of a cartoon. This guy's, you know, dapper mustache looks like Errol Flynn. Like, uh, again, it, completely from a different era, different world than, the, you know, the mud and blood of World War II, right? Um, <laughs> so you can see how charming this guy must have been. Um, uh, after that, so, uh, but, but as a male, imagine that face on the catwalk. I just want you to imagine that. I'm going to show proper... you his face right now, and I want you to actually imagine that on a catwalk. Doom, 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 doom. I think no, he's, actually, they, I think he's yeah. like in what his What catwalk there, music so. did they play in the 30s? I hope it's bagpipes. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good okay. guy. All right. I mean, I can right. see it. I can see it. I'm not. I mean, this isn't my field necessarily. I mean, this is more your bag. But like, yeah, you'd. I you'd, said, well. You know, you'd cut that out of a magazine. I yes, I would. You put that on your locker. I would paste that to my locker. <laughs> I might even put it in my yearbook. Oh, with little hearts around it, <laughs> <laughs> little hearts in the eyes. Uh, so, but he wasn't just a model. No, he wasn't. He was also an actor. He, yes. Um. Uh. During this time, apparently, he had grown very good at the uh, at both archery and playing the bagpipes, as you right. were wont to do. Um. I, while being a male model time, in Kenya. Uh. No, no, I, this is when he was growing up. Uh, he, he was always an avid uh, um, archer and uh, bagpiper, apparently, uh, despite being an Englishman. Uh, so he, he'd he starred in uh, several films, including The Thief of Baghdad in 1924 and A Yank at Oxford in 1938. Classic. In 1938, he was at a yank in Oxford at the outset of, of World War II. So he he's knowing he's like ooh I'm gonna go kill some Germans soon better go make a movie, <laughs> but I want thirty minutes in a bar with this guy just please like if that's the afterlife can I just please have thirty minutes in a bar with this guy? Um, okay, so we're gonna start his experience in World War II. Um, he resumed his commission immediately after Germany invaded Poland in whoa, September. Whoa, hold, up, hold up, hold up, hold up! You missed. Probably one of the more controversial actions he took before the war started. Which was? So, um, while he was filming those movies and kind of throughout his uh, peacetime boredness, he got really into playing the bagpipes. Oh, yeah. And he caused a bit of a controversy. Because now, Kirsten, have you ever just... you just been really into some bagpipes. Like, you just gotta play some bagpipes. Yeah, I get together with my buddies. We get in a um, garage, actually. A garage? That sounds Seattle. like a terrible place to play bagpipes. Yeah, we um, we actually play the bagpipes. Ooh. We have a jam session. Ooh. We uh, Ooh. knock out some great garage pipe tunes. <laughs> Wait for that <laughs> album to drop. Anyway, I'm sorry. You were we're saying. bringing plaid back. <laughs> uh Anyway, so uh, by 1938, he actually competed, or in 1938, he competed in a military bagpiping competition at the Aldershot Tattoo and won second place. Now, the fact that an Englishman had beat out so many Scotsmen in this bagpiping competition actually caused a bit of a controversy, and he was sort of a... uh, a uh, reviled figure among other bagpipers. One thing for you a very do not do: you do not beat the Scots at their own game. <laughs> you never outdrink a Scotsman. You never outbagpipe a Scotsman, and you just sure as hell never fist, outfist fight a Scotsman. And he probably did all three of those things. He, I he probably could in yes. the same day. And by the way, Aldershot <laughs> tattoo sounds like um, an old timey 
uh, tattoo parlor where I I've can get sailors. I've actually got an Aldershot or... tattoo on my ass. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. So, what happened in war? Um, alright, so he resumed his commission after Germany invaded Poland in September 1939. Um, uh, as part of the British Expeditionary Force, he, uh, and his unit, the Manchester Regiment, ambushed a German patrol near La Appenette, um, in France. Churchill- wait, wait. What, what was the village's name? La Appenette. Um. Give me that Le, sweet name Le, one more time. La Appenette. Now is let's that, l- let's try right? it as if you're saying. I took German in high school for a reason. <laughs> oh, I do not have that dexterity. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so he, okay, j- just place yourself at the scene. You're a commando unit. You're about to take on a German entrenched village in France. Um, and, and this is this is just as part of the initial British expeditionary force fighting in France as part of the Battle of France. This is not D-Day. This is not for some years, right? So at the outset of the goddamn war, he wants to make a statement. How do you make a statement? You begin your attack by shooting a Nazi officer in the chest with a bow and arrow. Yeah, and uh, the little detail that I found that I kind of wish wasn't included, included was that it was a barbed arrow. Which is just mean. Ooh, well, I mean, like, what what else are you gonna shoot the guy with? I mean, nerf. <laughs> okay, no half measures when you're shooting Nazis with bows and arrows. Oh, okay. It's it's nerve or nothing. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, had to bring it back uh, there. So, so this was the signal to start the attack, and I imagine that the conversation went something like, um, "Sir, so what's what's the um uh." What is your signal, sir? And it's just... Oh, I believe... Oh, that was the signal. I believe that was the signal. Everybody... <laughs> Very upper-class group of uh, group of officers. <laughs> um, so this was the only... Th- this is the only recorded instance of anybody killed with a longbow in World War II. And this guy did it. I, why did he not do it? Did, did he just never get a chance to again, or was it just never practical, or was he just like, oh. no, no, I, I, no, I did that. I don't have to do anything. I, I don't have to ever take a bow and arrow into combat again. I, <laughs> oh, I guess I, I was under the impression that he still brought a bow with him. Yeah. Um, to other battles, although I'm not sure if yeah. there's a possibility that it's just yeah. not efficient. There's a reason yeah. that we don't have bow and arrow regimens anymore. Um, when you've got bullets coming yeah. at you. Uh, this is a direct quote from his son Malcolm. He and his section were in a tower, and as the Germans approached, he said, "I will shoot that first German with an arrow," and that's exactly what he did. Um, Good. So he's calling his shot. Yeah. Um. After he was he was at Dunkirk. Um. So I I can only imagine he was part of the evacuation. Although it doesn't really um our sources are not detailing anything uh you know specific about that. Um, uh, but he was involved in some fighting at Dunkirk, at which point he joined, uh, he joined the commandos, I believe because he thought it sounded cool. To be fair, (laughs) it sounds much cool. If somebody says, would you like to be part of the Manchester Regiment or would you like to be a part of the British commandos? Okay, well, okay, to to be fair, to be fair, to be fair to the Manchester Regiment, there's no more, like, burly a word than Manchester. (laughs) 
command chest. Okay. Like, come on. Is the, it's a bit of a toss-up, but I would probably go commandos if given the choice, let's be honest. Right, so you're either having a bare chest or you're going commando. Yep. Oh, like, his younger brother Thomas also served with a commando unit during the war. Gotta give that guy his due. Uh, Thomas wrote a book, Commando Crusade, that details some of the brothers' experiences during the war. I remember so if you, playing Commando Crusade back on my like old Atari. Was it that like the, was it like an eight bit side scroller? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> the precursor to Contra. <laughs> okay, um, so if you if we ever listeners, if anybody can track down a copy of Commando Crusade by it's Thomas not a real, Churchill. Oh the no no his, his, his younger brother wrote that a book. Was, that yeah. was a joke. That was not a real game. Yeah, um, but but but. By all accounts, it was a thing. Um, his young, their youngest brother Robert also served in the Royal Navy, so this is very much like a fighting Sullivan's kind of. Uh, <laughs> but his younger, oh no, I shouldn't laugh at this because it's not funny, but it is. What his younger brother was Buster. His uh, Robert, known yeah. as Buster, uh, was killed in action in 1942, and for some reason that just makes me think of sending Buster from uh, Arrested Development. Oh. Mother, I'm going to war. <laughs> These are my medals from Army. I'm looking at But I you. shouldn't laugh because he died and was I, insensitive. And he was slightly. Um, so so uh, he served in Norway after that uh, with a number three commando in appropriately titled Operation Archery. Yes. <laughs> a raid on a German garrison in Vagzoin, Norway. And um, that was uh, where the quote the from the beginning quote that is from. I read. Yes. Uh uh, that was on 27th December, my birthday, 1941. Well, what well, wouldn't be my birthday, I guess. Is it still my birthday if it was before the date that I was born? Uh, good question. Will time travel ever be invented? Because I, I would say yes. it's not your birthday now, but if you ever it time traveled be. to before 1941. Listeners with a time machine, your birthday is whatever you want it to be. <laughs> so, uh, for... Let's see. When he went out to Norway, um, yes, that was when he drew his claymore sword yes. and he rushed the Germans. Now I need to know: is this a cl which claymore was this? Was this a basket hilt claymore or was this a cross hilted claymore? Because I have heard versions where it's either. Does it matter? Is the real yes, question. it does. I think it matters. Because, <clears throat> Tell like, me why it matters. I think that you know. Okay. I could see a basket-hilted sword. It's a one-handed sword. You can have a pistol in your other hand if need be, if you want to be a real badass or, like, you know, do the whole Warhammer 40K thing before. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it, it makes sense to have a one-handed weapon when you are in an environment where you have rifles see, and See, I'm going to stop you and... right here. You just said it makes sense. To a man who drew a sword <laughs> in World in an War II. Assault. So let's just go ahead and skip that argument. Yes. Uh, so, um, I, he, 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 did, was it, did he have a confirmed kill with this sword? Like, I, or was the, did nobody confirm that out of sheer fear and respect for Jack Churchill? I, I have no sources that told me of any confirmed kills during this time, although... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but, well, for his actions at both Dunkirk and Vagzoi, uh, <laughs> Churchill received the military cross and bar. And, um, as a real quick back to the battle on Vagzoi. Yeah. Um, so after the battle, he was unscathed for some god-awful reason. Because and... bullets were afraid of him. <laughs> right? Well, actually, we'll get into why he might have been unscathed a little bit later. Yeah. 
But um, he was emerging from the battle carrying a bottle of wine, because why not? And one of the British demolition experts accidentally set off a grenade, like, right next to him. And um, so it broke his wine bottle. I knew we shouldn't have and, given the charges to Fidgety Tim. Yeah, and sent some of the broken glass into his face. Although he was mostly, uh, you know, very, very uh, superficial So injuries. this guy got a grenade blast of, sh- of, of wine bottle glass into his face. Right. The only injury that he suffered, suffered in that... Suffled. Look... It's a. It's early. We are starting this at eight in the morning. If he, if he had the a bit of a snuffle, the only injury that he suffered during the battle, where he drew a sword, was from the celebratory wine bottle that he was carrying as he walked out of the battlefield. I just love that. I imagine that the last words he said before that were, "And there's no way that anything can ruin this day." Boom. Boom. <laughs> Dude, I have my. Tr- I, I killed a man with a sword today. I have a trusty bottle of wine. Trusty bottle of wine next to me. Nothing can... Everything's looking up, Jack. <laughs> Suddenly that bottle of wine is not as trusty. But he recovered. He recovered yeah. very quickly and uh, went off to Italy in 1943. Yes. Uh, and I believe uh, Sicily, uh, he... He had his trademark Scottish broadsword slung around his waist, a longbow and arrows around his neck, and bagpipes under his arm. He had all this stuff with him. Right. He carried all this stuff into battle, um, which he also did the landings at Salerno, uh, leading to commando. Uh, Churchill was ordered to capture a German observation post outside the town of Molina, uh, controlling a pass leading down to the Salerno beachhead. Uh, he infiltrated the town, captured the post, took 42 prisoners, now, including a mortar squad. Now, hold up, because there's a little more to it than just he captured 42 prisoners. So one night, he and one guy, just one other guy, a corporal, decided to sneak out of their camp. And they just snuck up to the German post, and they surprised everybody inside with his sword. And he captured 42 men at sword point. Do you think that for a moment the German soldiers who he burst in on for a moment had this like, did we go back in time just now? Did we? <laughs> did we? Did that happen? What happened? Ooh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, and he got the uh, Distinguished Service Order medal for that. I just, uh, Honors. Okay. You're... You're, you're in a British, you know, court proceeding where they're bestowing official military honors on people and, you know, it's all very pomp and circumstantial and they're reading off what this guy did because if it's anything like um, uh, U.S. medals and citations and uh, military listeners, please weigh in on this. Uh, but, you know, you have to, you, you read what they did to get that um, and you can go and look at the uh, citations given to um, Medal of Honor winners. Um, and it lists exactly what that person went through in order to be given the fucking Medal of Honor. And once again, as often happens, I feel like that would I, be, we could do an entire episode of just Medal of Honor recipients. I feel like that would be halfway um, incredibly morbid and incredibly inspiring. Ins- yeah, equal parts, I think. Um, but just imagine being in in the rooms like, and wherein Lieutenant Churchill then drew his sword, screams tally-ho, kicked in the door. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, there was a mortar squad in with that 42 men. Yeah. Like, they had full-up, like, very, very well-equipped German soldiers be like, 
sword, Jack. Nope. There's, I, I, I believe, I, I, I think it's a quote in from Tom Stoppard that you know there's a, as at a certain point there's no refuge but in audacity. That like if you, if you be the craziest motherfucker. It, um, Anton Yelchin in Green Room had a had a speech about this. Is that you know you just some there's has to become a, there has to come a point where you just have to go balls out crazy, yeah. And that is the only option. Now insanity is the only option. The last the last fun bit to this um, adventure yep. that Churchill had it here is, in he Italy. Lived a series of adventures. Well, no, okay. So he lost his sword in the middle of the battle. So I guess at the end they weren't even at sword point when he was marching him down. He lost it when he was fighting with a uh, German soldier, and uh, he had to right. He had to walk back to the town to get it because you're not going to leave your goddamn sword there. Oh yes. And on the way there, he encountered an American patrol, which were mistakenly walking towards the enemy lines. The uh, commanding officer of this patrol said that they weren't going to turn around and they were going to keep marching. And Churchill told them that, well, I'm going my own way and I'm not going to turn around a third time to come save you. (laughs) You know, and just that his first assumption is that, well, I'm just going to have to go back in there again is... (laughs) <laughs> Don't Wonderful. make me come and get you now. <laughs> I'll be very, I'll be very cheesed off. <laughs> I, cheesed the off. fact what the is f- up with Britain I don't know. I don't know. Words. I don't. I, I need to look up the vernacular of the time. You, a shouldn't bit better. you know this? I, Isn't it? I should. Time? As a dual citizen, I should know this. Yes. <laughs> uh, all I know are Cockney rhyming slang. Um, <laughs> oh no! And that's important. That's important. What if I end up in a prison on the East End? <laughs> anyway. Um, the fact that the movie hasn't been made about this guy yet is, I think, a crime. Like, But maybe people have tried, and they just They're couldn't waiting, do the guy justice. They have justice. to wait for the right time, the right people. It's got to be done right. I, 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 my time has come. <laughs> I need to send, <laughs> just send this to Hollywood producers and be like, um, yes, please, me, thank you. So, after Italy, and yep. where did his adventures take? Uh, 1944, he was in Yugoslavia, led a group of commandos. Uh, they supported Joseph uh, Braz Tito's partisans. Uh, uh, but those listeners who are not familiar with the term partisan, what a partisan is, uh, it's another term for, I guess, you know, uh, guerrilla freedom fighter. Um, when you're... Uh, <laughs> it also... Because... It depends on your definition, because if you're fighting them, you're probably going to call them terrorists. And anyway, there's a, there's an issue of terminology depending on the side of the war that you're in, just mm. at that caveat. But uh, uh, unofficial, non-military, paramilitary forces uh, that engage the enemy in asymmetrical warfare, basically. Interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, a lo- there was a lot of partisan fighting on the Eastern Front in World War II, which would just be a really fascinating, little discussed um, historical uh, tidbit there. Anyway, uh, so he was leading a group of partisans uh, from the Adriatic island of Vis. In May, he was ordered to raid the German-held island of Brock. Um, yes. By the way, I'm probably mispronouncing all of those. Um, he organized a, basically a, a a small army of 1,500 partisans, of 43 commandos, and uh, one troop from uh, 40 commando for the raid. This is right out of a movie. This is like, I need a group of brave men from this disorganized, motley, ragtag, full-of-spunk group of fighters. Like, it, it, it's right out of an insipid script somewhere, you know, from L.A. But 
Anyway. So I, I, he, he led the charge through this, uh, up to this tower, and uh, they were strafed by planes. Yep. And uh, they were shot at with mortars. And by the time they got to the target, there were only him. Uh, no, there were only seven men in total. Left yeah. Of the, what, 43? Yeah. Well, I mean, over 1,500 overall fighters. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Or I, I suppose maybe he just took the 43 commandos with him. Well, or the planes and the mortars, you know, yeah, on okay. an island with a defended tower. You know, it yeah. can happen. So uh, he still kept advancing just yeah. with those seven Signaled men. Signaled the attack with the bagpipes, of course. Well, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> oh. So he continued to advance with these seven men. And when he ran out of bullets, he looked around and realized that he was the only guy left. Since he had no more bullets, that was the point that he decided to pull out his bagpipes. Because <laughs> what else do you do? Right. Yeah, do you think, I mean, maybe he forgot that he had bow and arrows on his bag. Did he Did he use all his arrows? Or? I don't know. I mean, it, he was I, he, he out of He seems like ammo, the kind of so... thorough gentleman. He would, of course, use all his, maybe he, maybe he lost his arrows or something like that, but just... Try to try to picture this in your mind. Just this is in the middle of modern combat. You know, this is in the middle of World War Two, and it, it, God, he must have felt. And untouchable. yeah, and he's standing there, and he played the song "Will You Not Come Back Again?" Yes, on his uh, bagpipes, and uh, he finally had to get knocked out with a grenade blast. The Nazis because they were scared to get close to him. <laughs> like, well, they're just like, you just, just stay over there, just stay over there, and just. No. Well, there's that, <laughs> and the Nazis reportedly ignored orders to kill him out of respect. Well, yeah. Uh, so that may have been one of the reasons that he had not been uh, previously shot, or you know, it, it seems like he emerges from these battles a little bit unscathed. But there's a chance. That people look at the crazy guy with the sword and the bagpipe, and they think that he's not as much of a threat immediately could... as the dude with the gun next oh, to him. Yeah. And there's also the fact that his last name was Churchill. Yeah. A lot of people thought that he was related to Winston Churchill. And he's not. Like, no. We, it's just a coincidental right. last name. Okay. Yeah, no, he is, uh, he is not, but... Because of that uh, supposed relation, huh. when he was knocked out with this grenade blast here, they took him straight to Berlin. Oh, damn! Because I mean, they figure he must be important, like an important hostage. Yes. I, oh man, this this guy, this guy right here. I he, the Germans must have seen that he was the personification of the god Mars himself. <laughs> You know, because yeah. every once in a while you get these people, you know, these legendary warriors and just, uh, I mean, I hate to say like Achilles in 1942, but like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very similar to that. So um, he was captured in Berlin Yep. and they tortured and interrogated him and found that he, A, had no valuable intel and B, was too much trouble Yep. to keep in the capital. For those wander, want, uh, wanting to know what this must have looked like, look at the rope torture scene from Casino Royale. I'm <laughs> guessing that... I'm guessing it was exactly like that. It's like, no! Ugh. No! To the left! To the left! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, he was too much trouble because he managed to light a garbage fire. With what?! <laughs> I don't know, man. With flame? Did he just breathe his flames? sheer rage. He just, he struck If I throttle this garbage can hard together. enough. 
<laughs> I imagine he had a voice like Basil Rathbone. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to me right now. You're going to catch on fire because I want you to. Probably. Well, and after he... Expelliarmus! <laughs> uh, after he um, spontaneously combusted a trash fire, yes. they sent him to Sachsenhausen, uh, the concentration camp. Oh. Oh, damn. That's... Which he promptly escaped. <laughs> of course, of course! Like, he just walked in the gates. Oh, this won't do. <laughs> this won't do at all. Um, I'm just going to read this okay. uh, series of adventures quick. Okay, is it, are these direct quotes? Yes, uh, this, is, is, this it... is back from that Vice article. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so he promptly escaped the camp, shimmied under a wire fence, and walked 125 miles through Nazi territory to the Baltic Sea. He was captured just miles from the shore and transferred to another camp, this time in Italy. Uh-huh. As was expected, he escaped in 1945, sneaking away during a power outage and walking 100 miles using a stolen rusted can to cook what he considered liberated vegetables <laughs> looted from Nazi-held fields until he found an American regiment in Verona and convinced them he was a British officer. What else would they think he was? I mean, oh Jesus, he's got blood around his mouth. There's, my God, there's blood everywhere. <laughs> Actual cannibal Jack Churchill. I, <laughs> just imagine just raiding some Nazi's garden and just like, ah, here's this, this one's right, right at you, Fritz. <laughs> this, this, this is a guy, I don't know if, uh, limits, limits, do not seem to apply to this gentleman, you know? No. Like, much much in the way that Bruce Lee, you know, Bruce Lee had that famous quote, um, you know, no way is way, no limitation is limitation. And it seemed like Jack Churchill just kind of lived that. It's just like, okay, there's a fence here. That doesn't matter. Um, I can I can work with this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need to see if there are... I, I'd love to do a follow-up episode. If I can find any interviews or any um, other kind of... Like, if I can find this book that his brother wrote, I would absolutely love it. Because I would love a glimpse into this guy's mind and mm. just the guy's thinking process, you know? What kind of conditions does it take to create an individual like this, you know? Right. Uh, very special combination. Jack Churchill well, was and a, it's probably you know, part of that growing up in a military family and being all over the world in these different areas yeah. that aren't quite hot, but they're quite lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he... Uh, it seems pretty hot in Burma. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, he grew up basically around conflict and yeah. among uh, British officers at a time when they were still very much about um, the honor and the code. Yeah. And, you know, and some of these older yeah. people, like especially his grandfather, absolutely would have been part of that mustachioed, like, yeah. war is a gentleman's game. And at the same time, it would have been completely natural for somebody to have been raised in that environment to develop an aversion to violence and conflict. Like, that's that's I can, true. That's completely an un, un, un understandable reaction to have growing up, but it's also, I guess, understandable to, in a way, embrace that. Right. You know? uh, anyway, just psychoanalyzing the guy aside, like, just... Lo- I would love to know what made this guy tick. That's just that. That's what speaks to me so much. So, um, uh, have we gotten to? Uh, so he uh, he he he's found by the Americans, and um, so as the Pacific War was still going on, Churchill was sent back to Burma, uh, where some of the land largest land battles against Japan were being fought. Uh, by the time Churchill reached India, Hiroshima and Nagasaki had been bombed, and the Japanese surrender had been accepted. 
Churchill was quoted, um, he was quite unhappy uh, at this turn of events, and he was quoted as saying, if it wasn't for those damn Yanks, we could have get this war going another ten years. Yes. That's one of the interesting things about Churchill is that he sort of did revel in the violence of war a bit much. And a lot of people who later spoke to him and then spoke about him said that there was this sort of mad glee in yeah. the idea of wanting to use a longbow because he wants to know what it's like to kill someone with a longbow. Yeah. And while it's very easy to look at this and think that this is such a romantic type, yeah. um, almost Arthurian legend. Well, he was like, very a much man. a guy born in the wrong century. Right. But then there is also the fact that he did take, you know, pleasure in... Um, in killing other people and and while well, when you find something yeah. you're good at right well, <laughs> <laughs> well and that's not necessarily a that's bad true. thing at the time because we were fighting nazis and like it was amazing we, that he we needed men like it. jack churchill to, 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 to win this war but you know um it's 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 a very interesting it's a very interesting phenomenon mm-hmm. to talk about and it's a, it's one that i think as a civilian i feel kind of underqualified to really try to speak with any kind of mm-hmm. um you know, understanding on. So, I don't know. It's it's it, soldiers and members of the military who are listening to this. I, I'm not going to presume to know what you've been through and what you know you're coming at with this. You know, psychologically. Um, so maybe you understand Jack Churchill a little bit better than we would. Uh, Possibly. I mean, um, I was I, I was pulling more from the analysis that uh, one of his contemporaries. Um, had done um, after meeting him and talking to him and various people's quotes about him and knowing what he was like during the war. So while uh, you always have to take that with a grain of salt because how someone behaves during a war is probably very different from how they behaved in civilian life. That and it's is not true. like he went around killing people after the war. He, uh, he protected ambulance convoys. He lived in Australia, yeah. I believe, is where he... Yeah. Um, spent his last day. He, uh, he was assigned to uh, before the nation of Israel was founded. It was known as British Palestine mm-hmm. after after the war. So he was posted there. Um, he ma- he was ma- uh, promoted to major by this point. Um, he was one of the first men. Uh, there was a uh, in, in 1948. He was uh, sorry. Two seconds. <laughs> he was in uh, with 12 of his soldiers. He attempted to assist the Hadassah medical convoy that came under attack by Arab forces. Major Jack Churchill was one of the first men on the scene and banged on a bus, offering to evacuate members of the convoy in an APC. Uh, that's an armored personnel carrier. His offer was refused in the belief that the Jewish Haganah would come to their aid in an organized rescue. When no relief arrived, Churchill and his 12 men provided cover fire against the Arab forces. Like... Again, this is a guy who he gravitates towards conflict. Yes, you know, throughout all his life. I mean, uh, he's kind of the poster boy. Like those of you who are TV tropes aficionados, um, the Blood Knight. You know, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rough term, but uh, it describes somebody who automatically gravitates toward conflict. Because I mean, I, I said you know in a joking manner, you know, you find something you're get you're good at. But, you know, this is a legit thing throughout human history that you have people who this is what they are good at. Right. You know? And this is something that is unfortunately needed in well, some circumstances. Well, and, and that he continues on to be heroic, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't. Um... So, yeah, but he, he, did, he did go towards more peaceful things, though, after that. 
Yep. Um, uh, he, uh, in 1952, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, uh, MGM produced the film Ivanhoe, uh, he, uh, uh, featuring Churchill's old rowing companion Robert Taylor. The studio hired Churchill to appear as an archer shooting from the walls of Warwick Castle. Really? Yeah. Cool. So he, he got back into movies. Uh, he later moved to Australia, like you said. Um, he became a de- passionate devotee of the surfboard. What is what does Jack Churchill do to relax in his spare time? He goes surfing. I hope <laughs> you know? he brings the bagpipes, and I just want to see him like on a wave. You think piping? You think he, he was the first man to ride the River Severn's five foot tall tidal bore and designed his own surfboard? Cool. I, uh, he also worked at a desk job in the military. And, um, so he retired... I imagine that desk job was probably the worst job <laughs> he ever had. Oh my god, he, he must have suffered doing that. <laughs> uh, so he retired from the army in 1959 uh, with two awards, the Distinguished Service Order. Uh, in retirement, his eccentricity continued. Uh, he started uh, train conductors and pass... He startled a train conductors and passengers by throwing his briefcase out the train window each day on the ride home. He later explained that he was tossing his case into his own back garden so he would not have to carry it from the station. He also enjoyed sailing coal-fired ships on the Thames and played with radio-controlled model warships. <laughs> it just... This this guy found a fun and interesting kooky way to be lazy. I God, one of those days, I hope that he just launched himself into his backyard just as he's leaving the house shouts to his wife, "Hey, put all the pillows in the corner next to the roses, would you? Why do you want that? Just do it." <laughs> God. At exactly 3:24, duck. <laughs> So this guy lived until the ripe old age of uh, whenever eighty nine. <laughs> this guy lived to the ripe age of eighty nine. He died in nineteen ninety six um, in the county of Surrey. Uh, in March twenty fourteen, the Royal Norwegian Explorers Club published a book that featured Churchill, naming him as one of the finest explorers and adventurers of all time. This guy was Indiana fucking Jones. With less museums. Oh, yeah. Less museums. More punching, strangely enough. More oh. punching of Nazis. I, longbow shooting of Nazis. Yeah. I mean, damn. I, in in summary, I mean, this guy existed. I, I want to reiterate that nothing I, I, nothing that we know of has been fabricated uh, with regards to this well, guy. But, but also, everything still does need to be taken with a grain of salt. That's because true. Uh, at the time, a lot of facts were sort of exaggerated yeah. to um, make the newspaper stories more yeah. exciting and to make them more inspiring to the people back yeah. at home. Because remember, it was very much a war of hearts and minds That's as well true. as uh, physically fighting. That's true. Um, also, on the flip side of the coin, uh, you know, going back to Audie Murphy, he had to tone down and yep. take out a lot of the actual real things that he did. and. We will do an Audie Murphy episode at some point, mm-hmm. but like, because it is insane. My, it, it, Audie Murphy kind of had, he didn't have the adventurous life of Jack Churchill so much um, as he did like really intense and heroic actions during the war, um, but still incredibly worth talking about nonetheless, but they had to tone down and take out a lot of stuff out of his true story because people wouldn't believe it. 
Hmm. You know, people would think that it's made up. Right. And as we all know, reality is stranger than fiction and oftentimes way more exciting. So, um, any final thoughts on the life and times and exploits of this extraordinary individual? Yes, I actually do have uh, one thing that I really want to point out here that I think we've all overlooked. And um, I just want to, you know, shine a little bit more of a light on it. Okay. It is... 2017 and there's still a royal explorers club like do they all get together and wear like safari hats and mustaches and drink gin and talk about how great it is to go to india like what is that yeah yeah i mean yeah that's awesome i mean pith helmets are all the rage amongst these people i knew they had a better name than safari hat Somehow I knew what you were talking about. I think I think there is a safari hat that is different from the pith helmet. I could be wrong. Um, why? How did that become the uniform of the explorer? Quote unquote. Probably like, has to do with British expansionism and colonialism. Yeah. Fashionistas they were. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I just gotta say that um, I I I I want a movie to be made about this guy. If a movie is ever made about this guy. I want to be involved in the production of this film somehow. Right. I just, because again, this guy lived a pulp serial, uh, and he helped us win World War II. And, um, I think that that kind of story deserves, it's, it's the stuff of like, it, it's something that more people deserve to know about. Right. Um, and may we all have the audacity of Mad Jack Churchill. So let's all raise a glass to that man tonight. I drank my tea, but I will raise my mug. <laughs> You're drinking out of a Captain American mug, like, just letting you know. Yes, I understand the irony when inherent in this. Um, uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. This is a little bit of a shorter episode this time around. Um, we are going to be getting to some interesting subjects and guests coming yes, up in future episodes. I'm very excited about it. Um, more on that later. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at Fightcast Radio. Please check out more of Hot Chocolate Media's shows, such as um, the Movie Machine Podcast, uh, Badass History, uh, Campaign Comedy, um... And uh, please check out our uh, good friends at True Stone Coffee. I still want to pass a good word to them back in Minnesota. We still do have a little coffee left, so as long as we're enjoying it, we'll let them know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, be brave and uh, take no shit. <laughs> take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.